podcast episode mentions abuse, adoption, anxiety, depression, gaslighting, rape, emotional, mental, and sexual abuse, and suicidal ideations. These are our personal stories, and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Hello, and thank you for joining us on this episode of And Life Happens. I am your co-host, Jessica. And I'm your co-host, Samantha. On this episode, we will be talking with Faustina. Welcome, Faustina. Hi, thank you for having me. Faustina, why don't you tell us your story? Yeah, um, so my story is is pretty much a lifelong story. Um, it started when I was a kid, um, pretty much when I was adopted. And um, my parents adopted me because they wanted more kids and couldn't have more kids. Um, and there's a pretty big age gap between my siblings and I. And, you know, at first it was fine. And honestly, for the first part of my life as a kid, it was a pretty happy childhood. But then I got to a point where um, just with the difference of biological kids and adopted kids, that was kind of something that was made a difference in our family. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't looked at like, you know, oh, our adopted kids are our children. It was more like they're kids we have, but they're different. So over a period of a couple of years, I kind of noticed a difference in how I was being treated um, differently than my other siblings. And for me, it kind of felt like I had done something either to deserve that, or I had done something to make my parents feel like they needed to change how I was treated and how um, my other siblings were treated. So, I kind of tried to start changing who I was thinking that, you know, if I change who I am or what I do, then, you know, they'll accept me. And that was kind of a start, um, the start of a lot of destruction because one of the most important life lessons I've learned is to not be somebody else's to be me. Mm-hmm. But when I did trying to change who I am to please somebody else, especially my parents, that was, that was pretty um, hard to do. So I just kind of started doing that, trying to change who I was, noticing, you know, if I do this thing or if somebody does this thing, how are they going to be treated? And really trying to adapt to how I could, you know, be a loved child. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I kept thinking I had done something wrong. Um, maybe it's me or what's going on? Like, what, what do I need to do? Because it it wasn't working. And really trying to learn of, you know, how do people behave? What is it that I'm doing? And that's kind of when I started going down this road of wondering, like, what did I ever do wrong in my life? Because here I am trying to change when the problem is that I'm not the one that needs to change it, somebody else that needs to change. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, really early age. So, I mean, first of all, I shouldn't really have to be worrying about this. And I am. And second of all, other people are, you know, putting unfair expectations on a young kid. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the start of a lot of um, anxiety for me because, and it was mainly social anxiety because I felt like, you know, at home I had to be one person and then around friend groups, I had to be another person. Mm-hmm. And it 
I mean, and honestly, it kind of felt like, you know, I had a personality disorder or something because mm-hmm. I'm trying to be all these different versions of someone and that someone isn't me. So, you know, I just kind of went along with that for a few years and struggled with figuring out, you know, how long am I going to have to do this? Like, when can it end? And then when can I be me? And mm-hmm. how long is it going to take? And then um, I started noticing that one of my siblings just was not okay. And then that kind of turned into learning of abuse. And I started undergoing that abuse from a neighbor. Mm-hmm. And at first it was just general mentions of, you know, what he wanted me to do or what he felt. And I was 12 at the time. So, you know, I'm 12. I've gone through like the first half of my childhood being happy and then trying to be somebody else. And then there's this point in my life where this one adult is really wanting all all these things from me that like all these different personalities and things I've had to do did not prepare me for that. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, okay, you know, how do I learn? how to be somebody else to make this person happy. Um, And that was sort of when I started reading a lot about, you know, psychology and how people work, because I was trying to figure out, you know, how can I, how can I understand the world? Like, how can I survive? Mm -hmm. And then, um, then he started raping me and I realized that was like the moment I realized up until now, I've been trying to be somebody else. And at that moment, I realized none of that works because it got to a point where I wasn't me. And so I couldn't be me and stand up for myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of trauma survivors struggle with thinking, you know, it was my fault. And for me, I thought it was my fault because I wasn't myself. And so I didn't know what to do for myself. Um, So I went through that for two years and I... I had heard stories of, you know, other people going through the same thing. And the last thing I wanted was to be suicidal, witness a suicide, or become so depressed I couldn't function. Because I had my dreams for my life, and I didn't want someone or other people standing in the way of that. Um, so, you know... I was struggling. I was depressed. I was in a lot of pain. I needed to heal. But I also decided for myself that I wanted to have my dreams and I didn't want what happened to me to affect who I was. And I decided overnight, you know, I'm going to take this horrible thing that happened to me, but use it as a good thing. Because, you know, I didn't want to sit there for however many years thinking, you know, oh, this bad thing happened to me. What do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. I decided I'm going to use this to grow. Um, but at the same time, just given my family dynamic, I it wasn't like I could bring it up and say, this happened to me. You know, can I get help for it? So um, I kind of just went along with what had happened to me. And I started writing um, stories and also just writing out my feelings. Um, and another thing I did was art. So I picked up doing hand lettering and painting. Um, I started doing music, just different creative outlets to express how I was feeling. So that way I'd be able to get it out, but not have to talk about it yet because I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so then my parents eventually did find out what happened. And my first thought is, okay, like, you know, now I have support from my parents. I'll be able to get the help I need and this will be great. But what I didn't realize is um, my parents are, they just, they were having their own struggles and Mm. I'd seen it, but I thought, you know, like my trauma will help bring us together as a family. It'll be something that'll connect us and we'll be able to work through it and come out even stronger than we were before. Um, but it actually started tearing our family apart because just in, in the way that, you know, trauma comes into a family and it's not like any parent's going to know what to do. Mm-hmm. And especially because, yeah. you know, first they had to process it and then they had to heal from it and then they have to figure out how to help other people heal from it. And at the same time, both of them were already going through their major struggles And so at first I kind of had this hope that, you know, maybe this is just sort of like a bad dream. Maybe one day the one thing will happen that will change all this. But every day I kept telling myself it kept getting worse. And finally one day I realized, you know, this isn't going to change. What am I going to learn from this? And it was really traumatic for me to, you know, have to be adopted into this family that is supposed to be my family. Mm-hmm. And go, from, you know, pretty happy childhood to major trauma. And then now we're kind of falling apart. And it wasn't, you know, I had those memories of what it was like to be a child. But other than that, I didn't really know what a family was like. And so yeah. that I remember when I was 14 thinking, you know, that was, you know, one of my biggest dreams is one day I want to get married and have a family. And one of the reasons why I wanted that is because being adopted and knowing that I got an opportunity, at least, you know, I don't know where I could have ended up, but knowing I got an opportunity to at least witness sort of what it was like to have a family, I wanted to be able to give another child out there that chance and also have a family and take what I didn't get and give that to somebody else. Because for me, it was like, you know, other people out there need that chance. I didn't get it, but I know what it's like from a personal experience to not get that. So I decided that one of my biggest healing things would be to observe everything I was learning as I healed and as my parents struggled to heal, as my siblings tried to heal. And as we went through this, I was going to take everything I was witnessing and and experiencing and put that all together and learn from that as to, you know, how am I going to, how is this going to affect my own family one day Mm -hmm. and pretty much make it a stepping stone towards my dream. So I started doing that and it was pretty hard because I'm, I'd already gone through my trauma and, you know, we're, we're all healing at once and trying to heal, but it's, it was pretty hard because more and more things kept coming out from my parents, Mm -hmm. from my siblings. And we were pretty much all in survival mode and every day just waking up, not knowing, you know, like, okay, is it going to be a day where we only have, you know, these five things that we're trying to heal from? Or is it going to be a day where, you know, something else comes along and we have to decide what's our priority? Mm -hmm. And it's also kind of crazy and hard when, you know, we're in school and we're working and pretty much having to live our quote unquote, normal lives around 
what we know is going on in our family. Um, so honestly, like I remember that time, but at the same time, it's something I kind of just survived through and yeah, I processed it, but at the same time, I didn't really have emotions for it because mm-hmm. there was so much going on. I, I couldn't pick just one emotion. Um, so then my, one of my siblings just started having just major things going on and that was pretty much a breaking point point for my parents. And it got me to a point where I was terrified of, you know, what's going to happen. And one of the things I did not want was to have to leave my home because I had seen what it was like to have a sibling struggle in other places or friends struggle in other places. And one thing I wanted was to be in my home until I like actually needed to leave. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a big motivator for me was, yes, I'm going to be myself, but I also need to just kind of go along with it and be happy with it until I can leave. And then that was during that time, my parents decided that I needed attachment therapy. And that, and one of the things that, um, is happening now in the world is, you know, all these stories of the, you know, these families that treat their kids this way and they're now being exposed for it. Um, and this past year, um, one of my friends told me to watch the documentary, shiny, happy people. And I don't know if you've heard of that. I have, I have. Yes. Mm Yeah. So I watched it and that was, that was pretty much my family. And so I'm starting to hear, my parents talk about like attachment therapy and, you know, this is going to be great. And I'm thinking like, okay, you know, we'll see what this is like. And I went through it and the main therapist was, um, this lady who, I mean, she's, she's well known out there, but the big issue was she's not a therapist. And Mm. I mean, she's, she's a dog groomer. Um, and so having to just sit there, and watch my parents as they kind of forced me through this so-called therapy was probably one of the scariest things ever. And just, and one of the hardest parts was I literally couldn't say anything against it because then they saw it as a way of like rebellion or, you know, her attachment disorder is getting worse. Yeah. And that was probably one of the lowest points of my life and trying to figure out you know, how, because I couldn't know how long it was going to go on for because I just, my parents. So I didn't know if it was going to be six months or a year or three years or whatever. I just had to go along with it. And having to be in this time of your life where, you know, you don't know how long it's going to be for was something that when I just kind of got to the breaking point of, you know, maybe I should give up now. Maybe I should just give in. But then I realized, you know, well, if I don't stand up and fight for myself now, when am I going to be able to? Mm -hmm. So that was, that was a really hard learning experience in terms of, you know, these two people who were supposed to be parents to you kind of fell to this. It was pretty much a cult type of thing. And in the moment it felt like we were alone, that we were the only people having to go through that. And, you know, at the therapy camps we were at, 
there are other families there, but honestly, like none of them had really gone through the struggle my family had. Mm-hmm. It was no. more of other parents who are seeing their kid exhibit one behavior or another, and they're worried about it. But we're going in with, you know, this lifetime of trauma, this lifetime of mm-hmm. all these things happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was kind of scary in terms of like, well, you know, maybe this thing will help this family, but our family story is so much different. It's not beneficial to us. Mm-hmm. And I remember one night during a therapy session, the th- she's not a therapist, but in my mind, that's what I'm calling her. And I remember I had to sit on her lap and she was looking at me and she pretty much said, she's like, your story doesn't matter. What matters is how you're deciding to live your life and you don't know how to live your life. So that's why we're living it for you. Mm. And I remember thinking, this is not, this is not what anybody should be saying. It's not, you know, your story doesn't matter. It's your story matters, but how are we going to help you through that? Mm -hmm. That was kind of when I realized, you know, my parents don't know or don't understand what's happening with me. They don't know what I've gone through. They struggled to understand it, but it was something that was just so horrific. They couldn't. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I wish anybody would go through abuse, but it's for me, it felt like unless you go through it, you're not going to know what it feels like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we kind of just kept fighting through that. And I started speaking up and saying, you know, I'm really not okay with this. Like this is hurting me more. This is making me feel worse. And Mm -hmm. That was kind of when I started having to parent one of my siblings because my mom had just gone down such a deep road of depression. She didn't know what was going on um, or how to help. So just that one year, that was kind of the breaking point of all of us. So my parents were, you know, doing their own separate things. A couple of my siblings weren't even at home. It was me and one of my other siblings and So that was kind of when it was like, okay, I'm just existing here and I'm going to fight through. So that kind of just happened for a few years. And then this past year, so it was starting last fall, um, that was my senior year of high school. And I started working um, in a classroom setting and really learning you know, how is it I can be more independent? How is it that I can stand up for myself and start being an adult? Because I was 18 at that point, Mm -hmm. but I really didn't feel it because like for 18 years, everybody else had spoken up for me or done things for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my coworkers are noticing, thinking, noticing that thinking like, okay, you know, you really can speak up or say this is wrong. And it just felt so wrong to me to say something against somebody else or say something that I needed to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got a therapist and that therapist was pretty much saying like, your only real issue is you just need to tell yourself it's okay to use your voice. And I really had to learn that in, you know, workplace setting in my home setting, just wherever I was. And also really learning like, who am I? What is my life? What is, you know, pretty much even finding what my personality was because I didn't know what that was. I didn't know who I was or what it meant to be me. It was mostly I'm here to make other people happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty much the start of 
you know, this healing journey. And I felt like things were, you know, a little bit better at home because we're, my parents and I were working. Um, we had our schedules and our routines, but I knew that, you know, we're, we were still kind of walking on broken glass in terms of existing around each other, making sure we didn't set somebody off and then it would yeah. be another. Um, and I just kind of decided, you know, I'm going to go through this and see how, what happens after I graduate. Um, and then in, at the beginning of this year, that was kind of when we went through a couple more tragic things in terms of one of my siblings. And at that point, my parents said, you know, this is enough and just backed off and pretty much told me and my sibling, like, you figure out what you want to do, figure out what you're doing in your life. Like, we can't take this anymore. And it was kind of crazy because they had done that. But at the same time, they're the type of people that need to be in control of something. Otherwise, they feel like mm -hmm. they're just going to lose their grasp on everything. So I was an adult and I was making my own decisions. But at the same time, you know, I was being gaslighted into making them happy because if mm -hmm. they weren't, it would be miserable. And so you know, every week it was, it was literally every week. It was, you know, we start the week, we're all happy. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. Like, this is what a family should be like. We talk together, we have meals together, we're laughing together. And then, you know, by the middle of the end of the week, it was like, you know, somebody is going to be physical with somebody else because of how bad this is. Mm -hmm. And it was just week after week. And I remember thinking like, you know, I really don't think this is what family should be like, you know, the beginning of the week, we're happy by the end of the week, we want to kill each other. And I don't think this is how it should be. And so I started suggesting, you know, maybe family therapy would help, maybe couples therapy would help. And that was something I should not have said just in terms of the reaction I got. So yeah. I told my parents, I said, I'm going to get therapy for myself. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep doing these things as an adult. And I wasn't trying to threaten them, but I had to tell them, you know, if you're against me, I'm going to have to say something to somebody because there were minors involved in the situation. And, you know, you have to do your part. Maybe you can't do as much as you need to or as much as you should, but at least do something here. Um, so my dad just kind of left me alone in it. And he said, you know, do your thing. You're an adult, like, and pretty much he's like, you know what you're doing. But my mom was not really happy with that. Um, and then I met my partner in March online and I actually didn't even say anything about it for the first few weeks, just because I'd already gone through so much at that point. I didn't want to be so mentally unstable that they, you know, would gaslight me into leaving him or something. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just kept it a secret. But at the same time, my partner was somebody who, I mean, I met him and a few days later, I shared my story with him. And every day he was helping me through anxiety or my depression or my parents' issues. And every day it felt like, you know, okay, now I can live. And it was interesting because my parents didn't know what had happened. They just saw a difference in me and they could see, you know, okay, you're a lot happier now. You're fun functioning a lot better. You're being more assertive and responsible. And I was even speaking up, but I was just being polite to them. 
And Mm. then one night my dad just came up to me and he's like, it's a boy, isn't it? And I'm like, well, yeah, it is. And he didn't say anything to my mom because he, he knew what my mom was like and he wanted her to either figure it out herself or me to tell my mom on my own time. Um, and my mom actually heard about it from one of my friends and, you know, at first it was the battle I thought it would be in terms of, you know, just my mom thinking whoever comes into my life, I personally, I use them and abuse them to help me mentally and emotionally. But for me, I knew like I have other people to protect too. And the last thing I would ever do was use someone to make myself feel better because I know what that feels like. So mm-hmm. every day was just, you know, waking up, telling myself I'll get through today and having my partner walking next to me. And honestly, it was terrifying because I met him online and, you know, knowing like, okay, we've never met in person and yet he's the one that knows the most about me. Um, So that was honestly a really big learning experience in terms of trusting other people and trusting them to help me through what I needed to go through. Um, And then it was a little bit after I met my partner, my parents decided to move out of state and I was going to go with them. And then my mom came up to me and she said, you know, and there have been a couple leading factors up to this point, but then she told me, she said, you either need to leave him or you're not moving with us. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my mom and I said, I guess I'm not going with you. And she looked at me and she pretty much said, I didn't realize how strong you were. I underestimated you. And I told my mom, I said, you've spent pretty much, you know, the past 10 or so years being against me. If you'd really gotten to know me, you would know what I'm like, but you Mm. don't. And so she told me, she said, you know, I don't really want you to be in this house right now. So I actually moved in with another family and I was helping them with their kids. Um, and I'd like, I just graduated high school and I had just finished my job. So I didn't have a job and I had my high school diploma and I'm living with this family. I'm thinking, you know, I'll be here for the summer and then I'll go off to college. And then my mom at this point, just, she was having her issues with me. So that family kicked me out because they talked to my mom and heard my mom's story. So I went home and I pretty much had like two days to pack up and get out of my parents' house before they left the state. So I actually, I moved in with my dad's family in um, Minnesota. And at first, you know, I'm thinking I'm going halfway across the country and not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing who these people are, not knowing, you know, what's going to happen to me. And I thought, you know, I'll just stick it out until the fall and then I'll be okay. And I got out here and that was when my parents started emailing me and calling me, making it clear to me, you know, they're not financially helping me and we just don't want to talk to you right now. So then I actually had to tell the college I was going to go to. I said, like, I can't afford it and I can't come. So now it's kind of just existing out here and terrified because other than my partner, nobody knew my story. Nobody knew what had happened. And my dad's family's thinking, you know, I just got dumped on them. And they're mm-hmm. trying to figure out why I'm behaving so weird, why I do some of the things I do. So 
I was bouncing around from house to house, you know, pretty much the whole summer, not having a stable place to live. I was living out of suitcases and thinking, you know, like, okay, I'm in another traumatic part of my life. Um, and then I was at one of their houses and one of their partners walked up the stairs and came into the kitchen and looked at me and she goes, you have a story. And I can tell that because you're too quiet and you're in survival mode and I want to know your story. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm about to share my story with somebody out there who's related to my parents. And this is the first person I've ever told anything to in my entire life. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'll get in trouble. I'll be in big trouble and they might kick me out because I'm speaking out against my dad. But I decided to share my story because I thought, you know, maybe someone can help me. And so I pretty much told her, you know, this is what happened. Like, here's the 19 years of my life that everyone has missed out on. and everyone was just very supportive and you know they got together and they're like how are we going to help me move forward what are we going to do um and one of my greatest fears was that I would be judged for you know being in a long distance relationship or being judged for how my partner had helped me um and that was mainly just because of the mindset my parents had put me into but you know that was something they were big supporters of too and so it it was a really big learning experience of I can share my story just because my parents haven't wanted me to. They've told me not to doesn't mean I need to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And honestly realizing my parents didn't want me to share this story because every negative thing about it is something on them and they don't mm-hmm. want to look. So really having to learn that it's okay to share a story especially when it means I can get help or I can get support or just Mm -hmm. sharing it so other people know that even though I look like I have a perfect life and look like I have it put together doesn't mean I do like on the outside you see this person that you know has this partner who loves her and has things sort of figured out is going through something you know on the inside the other is something I'm going through so since then it's been a pretty painful journey of setting boundaries with my parents and, you know, saying, I'm really not going to do this or I'm going to do this. And you can give me your opinion, but that's not going to change my mind on what I need to do for myself. And also really learning what it's like to have someone in my life who can help because, you know, honestly, my the day I met my partner, I was going to overdose because I'd gotten to a point where I just didn't want to keep surviving anymore, not knowing, you know, how much longer is this going to happen? And that was the only time in my life that I had ever been that suicidal. But after I met him and told him that his thing was, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm here for you to help you when you need it. And I felt bad because it was like, okay, you know, I'm dumping all this on you. And every day it was, you know, me dumping more on him and then feeling bad and backing myself into this abusive corner where I'm telling myself, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? And honestly, you know, 
having my partner there for me is pretty much how I was able to learn how to function, learn how to speak up and learn how to be who I am because somebody else is there helping me with that. Um, so since then it's, it's been pretty traumatic and I've had my nights where I wake up crying at 3am wanting to call him or somebody saying like, you know, why did my parents do this? Why did two humans have to turn out this bad? Mm -hmm. It's also been a learning journey of, you know, there's a reason why I went through this. What can I do? How can I help other people? Um, so, you know, my story is still kind of going on, but at the same time, I'm at a place now where everything I went through has come to a point where now I'm learning off of it and learning what to do, what not to do. And mm -hmm. having my person of accountability to help me see, you know, okay, this thing I can do, this thing I can't do. What do I need? What do I not need is, is it's been helpful too. So that's my story. And it's a long one, but you know, I'm, I've healed through a lot of it now. Well, and it sounds like, I mean, your partner, um, super supportive in all of this, but you've also had a couple of other instances where there was um, a community kind of surrounding you, your dad's family, your one therapist you found who helped you use your voice, all of these people kind of um, coming together on the Faustina team to help you, um, you know, figure out how to get out of survival mode. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. How is it with um, the family that you're living with? Are you still living with them? I am. Yeah. So it was, it, it was kind of hard at first, you know, living with yeah. strangers. I'm yeah, like, oh, you're my relatives, but I don't know you. Um. So at first it was really getting to know who these people are and really learning how to, interact with people for the first time in my life without my parents around mm -hmm. really interesting like you know oh I can talk to you and have a conversation without somebody hovering or mm -hmm. there's a social event happening and I'm here and everyone isn't gonna be wondering you know why is your dad standing right there or whatever so really getting to know my family and it helps that they're my relatives because it's like okay you know I'm related to you there's more of a level of you're going to help me because we're related. Um, and then the biggest part was just deciding, you know, who am I going to live with? Because that was why I was out here is, you know, I'm going to live with somebody. So really getting to know, you know, all these people and the lives they lead, what they know and don't know, you know, how they learn based off of what I went through. Mm -hmm. That was, it was kind of hard, you know, moving from, this aunt's house to that cousin's house or whatever. Um, but actually, I think it was three weeks ago now, I did move in with my cousin. And ever since then, it's been, you know, I've had my hard days and hard nights, but there, I mean, these people have just been really understanding and really trying to learn what does trauma look like. And they've done, you know, research and made phone calls to their friends who have gone through something. And just the level of, caring and concern has been interesting in terms of being informed on trauma and you know what not to say around me what to say around me or what not to do like it was interesting the other day um, my cousin's husband was you know tapping on my door to get his hunting rifles and he was freaking out and having a panic attack because mm. he didn't want to freak me out that I had guns under my bed mm. and just things like that 
and really seeing, you know, oh, there are people out there that are really worried they're going to hurt me. And they're really making sure that whatever they say or do is not going to shut me down. So, you know, having that support team has been really new to me, but at the same time, it's been, it's been really healing knowing, you know, there are people out there that care a lot about who I am. So the last time we spoke and you did mention this a little bit, but I just wanted to circle back. Um, uh, the last time we spoke, you had mentioned you and your partner um, starting college in the fall, which was a couple months ago. And I know you mentioned you didn't get to and you put that on hold. Are you still looking into that? Are you looking into it in your state now? Not at all. Where Where is um, Faustina now? Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, it was for just mainly financial reasons that because we were going to go to the same college. Like that was how we met was through that college. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was financially, it was just going to be too much. And also just in terms of figuring out, you know, the finances, even just the psychological aspect of it for me. Um, so that was why we both decided not to go. Um, so right now I'm actually working, um, almost full time. I have two different jobs. One is I work in a, it's the same facility as an assisted living facility. Uh Um, one of my jobs is I just work in the kitchen helping them with residents or whatever. And then I'm also in the nursing department as a home health aide. So really learning off of that and what that kind of environment is like, um, in terms of what I would want to do. And I've mainly worked with students in classroom settings, so like younger kids. Um, so I'm kind of evaluating, you know, the jobs I've had and the people I've been around, what have I been the best at? And that's kind of helping me make a decision in terms of, um, you know, what I want to do in college. So I'm technically Mm -hmm. taking a year off right now, but really thinking about, you know, victim advocacy or even just childhood education or something like that, but really doing something where I've learned enough in that area that I know what I'm getting into. Mm -hmm. Um, But for like the next year, I'll just be working and by in a year, figure out, you know, am I going to move into an apartment? Am I going to still live where I'm at? And then figure out where I'm going to go from there in terms of college. Mm. Good for you. With your community um, that you're building, are you able to see, because you you said that you got to see a lot of what not to do and what you didn't want to do in your future family. Are you able to see what you want to do now? Are you seeing some good things that you want to include in your future family? Yes. So one of my biggest things, and this is one of my rules, is um, no yelling. Because, I mean, like, my mom's favorite thing is to bang my bedroom door open and start yelling at me. Um, And so, you know, when I worked in a classroom setting, one of my rules for my students was um, we use quiet voices. And I would tell them, like, pretend there's a baby sleeping. So, and honestly, for me being in you know, pretty much a toxic home environment, learning that yelling gets you nowhere. If you yell, People are going to think they're mad at me, I'm in trouble, or something's about to happen. And just the psychological meaning of yelling is just something I did not want in my life or in my home or anything like that. So just seeing different things in terms of their behaviors as people, as relatives, and really seeing, you know, what do I want? What do I not want? Um one of the things my partner and I do is when we fight, we have what are called loving fights. And 
one of my things I've really worked on is not swearing at him because I've just, when I've sworn at somebody, it just does not end well because I can be pretty ugly when I swear. So um, I'll just say something like, you know, I'm having big emotions or I'm feeling sad or whatever. And we go from there in terms of who did what, you know, what happened, what should I have not done? What should, should he have not done? And we work from there. And honestly, like we've had two fights that have been on me because one is he had to calm me down. So we pretty much had to tell me to shut up because I wasn't listening. So it's in terms of we really make an effort to focus on, you know, what is it we're doing and then where is this going to lead us? And I've practiced that with my relatives too, in terms of when I feel like there's a fight coming on or something for them, you know, if they're not, because my dad's relatives don't really know what it's like to have emotions. They lost their mom when they were very young and they've had four different stepmothers. Mm. So when it comes to emotions, I mean, honestly, one of my aunts told me, she's like, I didn't even know what it felt like to cry. And then she heard my story and she cried. So I think it's been a big learning experience for them too, in terms of feeling emotions. And so when I tell them something like I'm sad, or I feel like, you know, I want to throw something right now, or I want to curl up in a ball. They know they've learned that, you know, when I say certain things, it means like, I'm mad at you, or you hurt me, or they do the same. And then we either give each other space, or we sit down and say, you know, here's the situation that happened. Here's how it made me feel here's what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. And then we move on from there. And it's, it's sort of a different practice, but honestly, there's been a lot less yelling. There's been a lot more communication. And for me, it's been pretty healing seeing, you know, okay, these other people are learning based off of my experience and now they're helping each other through it too. Communication. It sounds like communication is super important and you understand that. You also talked about, um, I'm now I'm looking because I was going to spit it out and I had it in my brain. Oh, <laughs> boundaries. Um, and understanding how important boundaries are. Where have you learned this? Because um, those aren't innate <laughs> um, things that usually people just have. Where have you learned um, the importance of these things for yourself? Right. Um, so one of the areas I actually learned boundaries was with one of my siblings and I was kind of really learning that this year in terms of here's how I can be here for you and here's how I can't be here for you mm-hmm. and I'm the type of person that if someone needs help like even if they need help at three in the morning and I have to work the next day I will help them because one of the things I really learned was how alone I felt when I was stuck or I was going downhill and I needed somebody and nobody was there and I really have to make sure, you know, okay, you know, how much sleep did I get the day before? Did I get a nap? Okay, I can't help you. Other times what I do is I just say, you know, imagine or visualize a box or a bottle, just put it all in there. And, you know, at two o'clock tomorrow, we'll just open that box and we'll deal with it then. Um, and, you know, just trying to help people, trying to be there for them is something that's important to me. But for my sibling, it was like, okay, this is getting to a point where I felt like I was being used my sibling felt like she was in a place where, you know, you're never there for me, even though I was. So setting boundaries in terms of, you know, between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m., here's when we can do this or whatever. 
setting those boundaries for me and making compromises in terms of what's okay and what's not. Um, and then setting boundaries with other people, you know, like my parents telling them, you know, you really cannot call me at 10 o'clock at night to mm-hmm. talk to me about a mental battle. Like, you know, we can do this during the day mm-hmm. and this is one conversation we'll have if we can't make a decision about it. And I feel like there's not going to be a decision made. We're just going to leave it at that and we can agree to disagree. Um, So it's mainly been with my parents, um, my relatives too. I mean, one of the boundaries they actually set up for me and that I said, you know, you know, let's go along with this boundary was in terms of my bedroom. Like once they, as my cousin told me, she's like, once we get past that door, anything in that space is yours. And we are not going to go past that unless you explicitly ask us to. So having that boundary of, you know, this is my space or I need this right now or I don't need that right now or, you know, we're, we're not going to talk about this thing even though you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mainly just been learning, you know, I have to learn through experience of, okay, you know, you said this thing to me. I didn't like that. Okay, can you refrain from saying that? So it's mainly been learning off of personal experiences in terms of, other people's behaviors or words or whatever and learning, you know, I, okay, I don't want that in my life or I do want that in my life. Um, but because I'd never really had boundaries before this point, it's more like I have to learn them through what I'm experiencing now. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of like trial and error and some modeling, um, modeling from your new family with, how, you know, the, the whole bedroom thing. And, um, so you're, you're aware of what you're seeing around you, likes and not and dislikes, and then um, trial and error, it sounds like. Well, Faustina, is there anything else you would like to share about your story? I think one thing I would share is honestly, one of the biggest lessons I've learned this past year is that when there's, for me especially, and I think this is true for other people too, is just if something doesn't feel right, don't force yourself to go through with it. Because I've been in so many situations where other people have been trying to tell me what's best for me and it doesn't feel right. And I just listen to them because I think, oh, you know, I, I don't know what I need for myself. And it has really hurt me. Um, so really learning, you know, what am I comfortable with? And that's sort of in terms of boundaries, but also just, you know, I can speak up for myself. And that's something my relatives have really noticed about me and they're working on with me is if I need something then I can speak up for it. And also another big thing is if there's, you know, that one person in your life, and for me, that's my partner, but if there's that one person in your life that is there for you and they can help you and they're the person that knows you the best, for me especially, I've learned if they tell you to do something, you just listen because they are somebody outside of you, but they also know you. And so for me, it's, you know, my partner can really see when I'm going downhill, he can see when I'm beating myself up over something. And I've really had to learn the hard way to listen to him about when he tells me to do something, when he tells me to not do something. And when I listen, I feel so much better. And there are times where I feel like, you know, I'm going to handle the situation by myself and then it hurts me more. So really learning, you know, if there's somebody or just multiple people in your life that know you very well and you trust them when they're really trying to help you with something it's just honestly a good idea to listen to them thank you for that 
So thank you, Faustina, for joining us today. I really appreciate it and hearing your story. Um, if you want to contact or connect with Faustina, you can do so on Instagram. And I'm going to say it and then spell it, okay, because it's spelled interestingly. Um, it's the boy's girl, but it's spelled the B-O-I-S-G-U-R-L at the boy's girl. T-H-E-B-O-I-S-G-U-R-L. Thank you again, Faustina. We really appreciate you being here today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to And Life Happened. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue to listen and like our podcast. If you would like to support our podcast, you can do so by sharing this with others to build our community of resilience. To stay updated on the latest information, please follow us at and underscore life happened on Instagram. If you would like to share your life happened story of resilience, please complete the form in our Instagram bio. These are our personal stories and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Thank you.